Welcome to the Scott Thompson Home Show Podcast. Coming up, a one-dose summer means Toronto has no festivals. Didn't we have the same argument about opening up during the first and second waves? Have we learned anything? In many countries, including Canada, people are dissatisfied with their government's pandemic response, and that's growing. It's all coming up. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Come on, come on. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Oh, I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Going to be a beautiful weekend to the hammer. Don't forget the sunscreen and your social distancing. Nothing, no, uh, nothing worse than the first mass tan line burn of the season. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson. Not as easy as it looks when you're being tickled, is it? Huh? <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. Strong there, he doesn't uh, crack anything. Ah, you lay a few of those into the solar plexus. He'll, uh, he'll react. All right, good afternoon. It is 1210. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, Will Erskine back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show on the air. Feel free to jump into the fun. We would love to hear from you. Uh, there's lots of ways to do that. Uh, you can send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Uh, and don't forget, it is uh, an all-request Friday, so if you'd like to hear your favorite, we'll play 30 seconds of that. Podcast edition, there you go. Come on, take a bow, Will. Uh, you can, uh, and Jordan, you take one too if you're standing. Feel free to uh, use the podcast edition of the commentary in any way you see fit. Uh, Facebook and Twitter, uh, we would love to uh, hear back from you there as well. All right, another jam-packed show as we head into what is supposed to be just a beautiful weekend in the Hammer. Temperatures hovering around 20, 21 degrees, and uh, people in golf courses are just absolutely ticked beyond belief. Uh, and understandably so, you know, uh, it's an outdoor kind of thing, but we've got a government, uh, a provincial government, which uh, has been hammered because they opened up too soon. So I don't think you're going to see even a light in the barn door uh, until, uh, of course, June 2nd. Uh, we'll talk about that coming up uh, in just a sec. Oh, first, I want to play you some clips before we get to this. Uh, it looks like the tr- it looks like Toronto has canceled summer. Uh, but first, uh, I want to play you some clips of uh, the Premier, Premier Doug Ford, on with Bill Kelly this morning, and here's what he had to say about this whole mess. What I'm saying, there's no one, no one wants to open this economy up more than I do, open up out, uh, outdoor activities uh, more than I do, but uh, we, I'm just asking people, just hang in there, hang in there for a few more weeks. That gives us a little more runway to get another million and a half people uh, vaccinated, and I, I just... I don't want to ruin uh, the summer, the July and August, if we open everything up. And I understand uh, I got a lot of pals calling me about the golf, and and you open up golf, you're open up all the team sports. Then you're going to start opening up the restaurants and so on and so forth. I'm just asking people hang in there. Uh, you know, last last time we opened up, uh, and the numbers shot up. And if the numbers shoot up again, uh, man, there goes our summer. So I'm, I'm just asking people to. To hang in there uh, till the, the beginning of June, and then we're going to start opening up. Uh, we're going to do it gradually and safely, and uh, I just uh, hope to God uh, 
uh, no more uh, variants are coming into our country. All right, there you have it. Uh, Premier Doug Ford on with Bill Kelly this morning, looking for uh, a little bit more runway and uh, and to get over the hump and, and get the cases down. Uh, and obviously, uh, some are screaming opening up, some are screaming keep it closed. Let's bring in Rocco Rossi, President and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. He is with us now. Rocco, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Uh, well, uh, it's a beautiful day, and in the theme of all requests uh, Friday, the request would be not that um, it's opened up holus bolus, but um, give us a plan uh, and clarity around what the benchmarks need to be uh, to move things forward, because we absolutely 100% agree we want to do everything right by public health. It's important that um, that we, we take this thing to, uh, to the ground. But you're seeing governments around the world. I mean, yesterday, President Biden saying, um, look, you, you, you've got a choice. You can get vaccinated or you can wear a mask until you get vaccinated. You choose. Very, very, very clear motivation uh, around vaccination. You have Premier Mo in Saskatchewan laying out a plan that basically says, you know, once we get to X percent in vaccination, this is what I can open up. Then we get to this. That's what we get. uh, We open up. People don't mind sacrifice. I mean, look, it's it's been hard. We've lost thousands and thousands of businesses. Many more are hanging on by their fingernails. But it, it will feel more worth it if you've got a sense of what it is that you're working uh, towards have have some of that clarity to really feed hope and feed motivation. Um, from uh, you know, we've been following this just like you have every every day for the last. Uh, we're in week sixty now, by the way. Uh, and from what I heard from the health table, they're waiting for cases, uh, n- daily new cases to drop below a hundred. Uh, still, uh, it's in and around eight hundred in the ICUs. They want to see that down to about three hundred. Also, uh, pretty much hinting that as of June second, you will start to see those outdoor. Uh, recreations like golf and and so on open up. Um, do you want more something more specific than that? Um, I mean, hinting hinting is not a plan, right? Uh, hinting is not a plan. So if it's look, you got to get to three hundred, then you know people are not stupid. They could we watch the numbers because we're glued to the TV and radio and the internet. So we watch the numbers every day and and you know we were fairly certain that it wasn't going to it wasn't going to happen for the the 20th and quite frankly it's far better to know now than on the 19th so at least you know for for organizations like restaurants you're not you know filling your fridges with uh, with food that's going to go bad or calling back employees that then you're going to have to um uh, turn away because the stop and start to be fair to to the premier wanting to avoid that again, that's ex- that's extremely expensive and and demoralizing. But you know now that we're in week sixty, again, and and we've seen and we've been told day after day that vaccinations are the game changer, and and we agree we're, we're believers in science. But it's then reasonable for people to ask. We think. When you tell people again and again that something is a game changer, okay, so tell me how and when the game changes. 
and and don't hint at well maybe and we'll do you a favor. No, you get get us down to 300, get us down to a thousand cases. You can expect it, and we can watch that, and we can plan for it, and 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 people can be motivated to work on it. Otherwise, you get the feeling like you're. You know, you're Charlie Brown, you're racing forward to kick that football, and then Lucy pulls it away at the end. I totally get it, Rocco, and I'm playing the devil's advocate here. Yeah, no. Uh, I, I totally get it, but again, um, you know, we've heard Dr. Tam say 75% one dose, 25% two before we're really making any sort of progress. Uh, as I mentioned, they extended the lockdown for two weeks. Um, some are asking why it wasn't and, and, before. And I'm fine with the 75 and 20 before we really make progress. So what does that progress mean? So if I'm going to get yeah. there... Yeah, uh, what stage are you at? Just, yeah, just yeah. What, what you pick the... I'm not the doctor. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not the expert. Give me what the, the goal is. Just give me a goal I can work towards, and, and I'm all in. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I totally get what you're saying here, Rocco. Um, that being said, uh, Doug Ford accused now of being responsible for the third wave, uh, that, uh, because he opened up too early, uh, he I, is I, responsible I for the totally, third. I think that's totally unfair. I, I completely agree with that, Rocco, but that's just, that's just what I'm, you know, that's, let's yeah. be honest. It's it, Doug Ford's low hanging fruit, man. So, uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, you know, through the first and the second wave, we remember it's exactly like it is now. People screaming to open up, open up, open up, and then was criticized for opening up too early. Is anybody surprised he's keeping it locked down to June 2nd? You know, I remember having the mayor. I remember having uh, the mayor of Burlington, who came with a letter from all of the mayors of Halton, and this was in the summer, saying, "You know, we want it opened up. We want it opened up." And then a week later, we were the cases skyrocketed, and we were back into a lockdown. So this is the same thing that's been repeated since the first and second wave, and here we are in the third wave, and people are surprised we're locked down again. I don't agree with it. I don't agree. I think the outdoor activities should be opened up. That's, you know, I, I'm on agreement with that. But I, I'm not surprised that it's locked down after we've been through this three times and people are hanging this on Doug Ford for not uh, for opening up too early. I'm not surprised at all. I, I am. I am not surprised either, to be absolutely um, clear. What I'm saying is there and, and I agree with what you said before, that if you simply reopen if you simply reopen with the same tools that you had when you were forced to lock down and expect a different result, that is the definition of insanity. Well, but, the different result here is, Rocco, is there's vaccine now. I mean, again, right. what we've and been doing for the last year is trying to survive without a vaccine. Now, finally, in the month of May, vaccine has finally arrived in mass quantity, and now we can really make an impact on this. But really, what we've been doing for the last year is trying to survive without any vaccine. That's correct. And so vaccine, but not just vaccine, the um uh, the the importance of screening, the importance of rapid testing, rolling that out so that we can catch um, cases when they're asymptomatic, which is a big, uh, you know, the sort of the iceberg below the surface that has been causing a lot of the, the grief. So by adding additional tools and accelerating uh, vaccination, again, tie it to 
the tool that is the real game changer, but just provide people um, with with greater clarity around that. And and on the on the vaccination front as well, you know, the issue I, like many others, got my first dose was AstraZeneca. Uh, And now we're in this in this limbo. And yet we can look at the UK, which is effectively as of this past week, brought deaths due to COVID down to zero, next to zero. They've had several days of zero. Maybe there might be two, three, still tragedy, but compared to over a thousand earlier on in the crisis, they've done, and they've done it largely with with AstraZeneca. So yep. I am front of the line to get my second dose. Uh, I'm happy to, to, to use that. I know others are, that others can make different choices, but let's, Let's get to let's get to that clarity, particularly when, you know, we were we were told by all of the experts for so long. And I know that data develops and so on, but but pretty fundamental stuff like, you know, the first vaccine that's available is the best vaccine. And these are all approved by there's certainly uh, been lots of. uh, Yeah, there's certainly lots of uh, mixed messaging around vaccine and such. Getting back to uh, what Toronto announced today, uh, they've certainly provided a lot of clarity. No festivals for the summer uh, until, uh, you know, no no permits allowed until after the Labor Day weekend. So unfortunately, that's clarity. No summer for Toronto. Toronto summer canceled. Well, done in massive groups, uh, cancelled. And again, to your point, I mean, that is clarity and that is understandable in terms of quantum of people and closeness and Is that overreacting, do you think, Rocco, or is that is that is that acceptable? Look, again, I'm not the medical uh, expert. I and I do think by giving that clarity and giving it early they're they're doing what can reasonably be asked of them i'm i'm with you i think that uh as the weather uh, comes better thinking about you know when the opportunity could come for outdoor dining in smaller you know controlled volumes not not a million people going down the street in uh, in caravana or at the x etc um i understand um that that there's that seems to be some logic uh uh in any idea what sort of financial hit a city like toronto hit takes for something like this because you know whether it's uh all of the events that you just meant mentioned cne honda indy what have you um it's uh tourism dollars alone well a hundred a hundred percent you know we're talking um I, we haven't done um, an assessment of it uh, yet, but it's in the many, many millions of dollars. Because um, you think about, uh, you know, people who come for those events are not just here for the day. They're then going into restaurants. They're staying at hotels. The numbers add up pretty quickly. Um, and and let's be clear, nothing around COVID has been uh, fair or reasonable yeah. or without cost. Um, so this is an enormous, you know, uh, continuation of that. And, and, you know, our, our focus has been to try to take as many positive steps as, as possible to, 
begin rolling out with the Ontario and federal government and our and our chamber network partners, you know, free rapid tests for small and medium-sized businesses across the province, and hopefully that can be expanded um, nationally. We've been working with our Ontario Vaccination Support Council, over 250 companies, organizations, universities, colleges, unions, um, to assist uh, local public health units, hospitals, to accelerate vaccination rollout. Just this week, uh, uh, the co-chair of our of our council, James Skoniak of, of Bruce Power, announced a partnership with Peel Public Health that will see uh, you know members standing up a mass vaccination site at the Powerade CAA. Um, center in in Brampton that going full bore could do 10,000 vaccinations um, mm. a day. So we're leaning into this. We understand um, you you've got to make the reality, the underlying reality, different if you're going to open without throwing us back into another explosion of cases, which which no one no one wants um, and would be devastating for the healthcare system, for the economy, and for the community. Rocco Rossi with us, President and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. Uh, obviously, uh, into a lockdown, we stay until June 2nd, and Toronto announcing today that uh, all of their festivals cancelled until Labor Day weekend. Rocco, thanks for the time, as always. Greatly appreciated. Be well. Try to have a great weekend. Look, uh, stay positive in the sun, test negative, and get vaccinated just as soon as you can. Well said. Oh, Time for commentary. Do you remember this time last year, towards the summer, once the warmer weather was arriving, everyone was screaming at the provincial government to open things up. People were tired of lockdowns even back then. We are having the same debate now. How ironic. Here we are a year later, and now some are blaming the provincial government for the third wave and opening up too early as opposed to the Prime Minister for not having vaccine in a timely manner to avoid the variants. I remember last year having Mary Ann Mead Ward, the mayor of Burlington, on the show. She was armed with a letter from all the Halton mayors demanding the Premier follow the science and open things up for business. It was only a few short days afterwards they all backtracked when the exact opposite happened and cases started going up, meaning further lockdowns being put in place. Now we are hearing the same chorus having virtually the same debate that was had between each of the first two waves. Some complaining they want things open, some complaining they want things closed. But somehow COVID-19 is all Doug Ford's fault. Don't blame government for taking firm action if once accused of not being firm enough. Balance is never easy. Hopefully we have learned at least that over the last year. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Lauren Small, infectious disease specialist uh, with Trillium Health Partners and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me, Scott. Your thoughts on the Balancing Act? Yeah, you know, it really is a balancing act. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a tug of war uh, between science uh, and then the, the theoretical reality and the, the collateral uh, of, of the, you know, potentially what could come of it. Certainly, scientifically, no reason, you know, we can't be doing these things. We can't 
be enjoying the outdoors. We, you know, we, 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 we can't be playing golf. Scientifically speaking, that's, you know, probably quite safe. Um, when you look at the other side of it is, you know, what goes along with that. And I, I think... Uh, and not only that, Doctor, even the perception. Like, people say, well, they're golfing, they're doing that, then I can do this, I can do that. It, which, again, it, you know, it, it seems like it's not a valid point, but it does have an impression. It does have an impression. It, it certainly does have an impression. Um, and, and, and people will read into it. And, um, you know, you, you give these allowances and say... Uh, yeah, this is okay. So, and then, you know, people take it the next step. And I, I you know, I, I, I fully agree with everything you said. I, I, I think people should be allowed to, to go out and, and enjoy the outdoors. But it, there is some risk there with people taking the narrative, uh, unto themselves, uh, and, and going that next step. And, and what I've learned over the last year and a half is we, there really has to be a prescriptive process. Um, you know, the, 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 what you can actually do and what you actually can't do really has to be set out. Um, and, um, you know, that, and that's where you get into trouble. And, and I think that's where, uh, Premier Ford and, and the government are coming from. Um, they're, they're trying to keep it more restrictive to, 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 to not have people, you know, kind of having their own interpretations of, of what the rules may be. On that note, uh, President Joe Biden, the U.S., uh, came on in the last 24 hours, the Center for Disease Control, saying if you've been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, twice, uh, you can peel off the mask. Obviously, they say if you're in closed quarters like a bus or an airplane or, or anything of that nature, they do recommend that you wear one. But generally, uh, you've been jabbed twice, uh, no mask. Your thoughts? Because, again, a lot of people are, are up here thinking, well, that's too much, uh, too much too quickly. Uh, but then again, they're certainly at a different stage than what we are. But what are your thoughts on that as a guideline? Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think it's about the stage where they are. It's, it's very politicized. And, and um, there's a lot of pressure uh, to give individual rewards uh, for, for getting vaccinated in the States. And, and, and this is, they're kind of throwing the individual a bone, uh, and saying, yeah, you're vaccinated. You can take off your mask. Now there's scientific reasons why that may not be the, the, the best way to go, but even more so there, there is a social aspect to it. Um, that is, that is going to become quite detrimental. You've got this, uh, heterogeneous population, uh, and you're essentially creating two sets of rules, yeah. um, and and for the haves and the have-nots, um, and and it's just going to end up disastrous. Um, you're you're going to start seeing news stories in the states of you know people getting into fights, um, and it, it's you know you're you're either doing it and and putting these public health measures into place, and it and they're the same public health measures for everyone, or you're not. Once you start getting into this. Two, two sets of rules, you know, where there's no validation, uh, you're really going to get into trouble. And the deputy um, uh, chief medical officer of health said it quite well uh, yesterday. Um, he, he said, you know, this is, this is more about the community rather than the individual. Uh, and we do have to think about this on a, on a community level, on a public level, rather than uh, the, the individual. We have to think about this as 
not individual vaccination, but population vaccination. Many in Canada, Ontario, every province, I'm sure, looking for those guidelines of what we can do. So how do we walk out of this uh, pandemic? How do we move out of it? Yeah, it's going to be a, a bit of a challenge. I mean, we saw in the in the second wave, things were going well. We got down to around 1,000 cases per day uh, in Ontario, uh, and things were eased up, and, and, and things kind of shot right back up. Um, you know, and, and we go back to the first wave when we, when we eased the, the public health measures. We were very low. We were, you know, much lower than at the end of the second wave. We were just getting a handful of cases every day. So you, you really need to be careful because if you still have that critical mass of baseline cases and you start easing up on public health restrictions on public public health measures it is going to go back up now it's a little bit different this time around because we may get back to that threshold level you know maybe just under 1000 cases per day in ontario and then the vaccine effect is 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 well into effect and then even with the easing of the public health restrictions because you have the vaccine effect in place mm-hmm. that trend is going to continue but you really you have to be sure that that trend is con- going to is uh, continuing and if you do see any sense of that trend going in the wrong direction then the public health measures have to go back into place uh, obviously, you know the debate right now as we're heading into probably one of the first long we- or first weekends of, of nice weather. Some want things open, some want things uh, some want things closed. Uh, Toronto has pretty much just canceled summer, saying that uh, you know no festivals, no CNE, no indie, no none of that. Is that the blast of reality? Is that the blast of clarity right there? Well, I you know I think we're in this. Um, you know, pretty extensively for at least the next few weeks. Um, I think what we'll start to see uh, in June, um, we may be in the position where we're going to be able to ease up on things. Um, but I do think it's it's probably premature to say, you know, by by uh, by late summer we're going to be able to go back to exactly the same activities uh, as we were doing before. Um, I, I, I really don't see that happening probably until uh, early fall if things continue as they are. And so I, I do think that, it, you know, you want to be putting everything into place now that you can to make sure you're in that position uh, towards the end of the summer. Uh, and, and I do think that maintaining these public health measures uh, for now is the way to go. And, you know, we can reverse that and, and amend them as we get the new, the new data in. But really, we're not right now, today, we're not close to where we would feel safe about that. So the Prime Minister has said a one-dose summer, and then immediately everybody starts asking, well, what does a one-dose summer mean? What does that look like? Uh, my guess is... It's just my guess. It looks like it does now, but without a lockdown. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think that's that's probably true. Um, you know, I think we're going to be able to go out and uh, probably enjoy the outdoors. Um, but um, I think those lockdown restrictions that we've been seeing uh, will be eased up uh, as the summer goes on. 
What about the bubble? The <laughs> Will bubbles be fashionable again this summer? You have to stay within your family bubble or you can have one friend bubble. Will we get into that, do you think? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I think the, the whole co- bubble concept uh, is probably becomes a bit too complicated uh, and, and too difficult to maintain. Um, you know, I, I, I think when you look at these things, you know, socializing and, and uh, being together is either safe or it isn't. Um, and, um, you know, y- y- you can have four or five people in your backyard. You know, we're going to we'll probably get to that, that you know, extent of, of where we are. Um, but uh, the, uh, the identification of the, the bubble, uh, I think, tends to be somewhat uh, more of a complex uh, system. Uh, with, uh, has Toronto clarified what a one dose summer is by canceling these festivals? Cause obviously with uh, a one dose, that's not enough to have these festivals. Yeah. I don't think they've really clarified it. Um, I, I, I think, uh, they're, they're, they're alluding to the fact that, uh, you know, we, we want to be sure that everybody is as safe as possible, uh, in terms of vaccination. Um, so, but, but, you know, they really haven't gone beyond that to, to really clarify what that means. Uh, do you expect other cities, uh, to across Ontario to do the same, uh, to do the same thing as far as, uh, festivals? I mean, will this be the way it is till perhaps fall fair season? Well, uh, you know, the, the, the greater Toronto area, I think, uh, you know, given the, the density and, and the the um, incidence of, of COVID, um, you know, I think they are in a, a, a fairly uh, precarious position, and and I think it makes sense in the direction they're going. Uh, there are other areas of obviously in Ontario uh, where um, you know the incidence of, of COVID isn't as high, uh, and and there may be some local. Uh, local decisions to open things up more in terms of festivals. But I, I, I have a feeling the way things will go uh, is more of a provincial direction uh, rather than the one-offs uh, locally. Uh, we know certainly in Ontario that there has been three major uh, hotspots uh, and and in those major hotspots, say Toronto, Peel, and York, uh, have received uh, targeted vaccination over the last two weeks. Fifty percent of everything that was coming in uh, from a vaccine shipment went to those areas. Uh, are we getting are are we getting that aspect of this under control? How important is that element of this battle? That that is really important. Um, you know, we were, I'm going back, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, I'm in Peel, working at a hospital in Peel. Uh, and, and the stories coming in for all these COVID patients, they, they were all very similar. Uh, you, you, you've got somebody in the household working uh, at a warehouse or a factory, uh, and it's a multi-generational household uh, where there is a lot of people living, and then they're all infected. Um, and so we've, we've, there's a lot of work that's been done to target that specific issue. And I can tell you that today, compared to three weeks ago, what we're seeing in the hospital is, is 
completely different now. Hmm. Um, the numbers are coming down. We still have a lot of patients. We still have a lot of patients in the ICU. But every day, the number of new admissions uh, with COVID are coming down. So it is palpable. And, and, and I think this targeted approach uh, for the vaccination is really kicking in now, and we are feeling it. Dr. Lauren Small with us, infectious disease specialist with Trillium Health Partners. Doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well and all your staff, too. Uh, Have a great weekend. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. So uh, we certainly know as of this week that uh, restrictions have uh, continued uh, here on uh, in Ontario with uh, restrictions being extended until uh, June 2nd. People cranky. People cranky. Uh, and I, what I find just absolutely fascinating in all of this is that we've had the same debate through the first wave and after the second wave. And now here we are in the third wave having the same debate. Uh, people screaming to open things up uh, and then complaining that they were opened up too early. Uh, again, we saw that through east of each of the first and second waves, and now we have uh, the Ford government who obviously doesn't want to get smacked again with this and is being uh, clearly blamed for the third wave because they opened up too early, and now people are surprised <laughs> that they're keeping things closed down. You know what? Unless it's black and white, we don't seem to understand We call that mixed messaging. So we are where we are, and uh, Toronto has just announced no festivals until after Labor Day. So they pretty much canceled summer for uh, for Toronto, for the festivals. So there you go. There's your blast of reality. There's your clarity. Uh, Until we get down below 1,000 cases, till we get less than 300 in the ICU, uh, we are where we are. And... um, I don't know how anybody can be surprised at this point. All right, let's move on. Uh, what is sort of surprising, and I guess not really, uh, is we remember when this all started, governments working together of all different uh, stripes and of all different levels, municipal, provincial, federal, and everything was uh, it was just like a big kumbaya moment. And we had quite faith, uh, a lot of faith in our leaders. Things have changed the longer this drags on. And the headline in the Globe and Mail, in many countries, including Canada, dissatisfaction with governments, pandemic response is growing, finds a study. That's the study coming out of Imperial College's Institute of Global Health Innovation in London, England. We have the study's co-lead with us now. Melanie Lees is with us. Melanie, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So, first of all, we hear so many great things about the UK. We see the pubs are open, uh, the masks are off. What is life like in the UK now? It's slowly creeping back to normal, uh, but emphasis in the word slowly. Uh, I think we're starting to be able to do more of what we could do before, but pubs won't be fully open until this coming Monday, actually. And uh, Boris Johnson has said that he expects life to go back to normal something like June 21st and after that. So June 21st, roughly, uh, what percentage of the UK vaccinated? Can you give us some of those stats? Because right here, the you know, vaccine shortage for us in Canada, not the same situation for you guys in the UK. Uh, so how many uh, of uh, how much of the UK has been vaccinated? Um, I think right now we're over 50 percent of the population, adult population that's had the first dose. 
but our um, vaccination methods a little bit different. So they're leaving a bit of a longer gap between the first dose and the second than compared to other countries. Uh, we're in the same way. We've been waiting um, uh, three to four months for the for the second dose, and hopefully with uh, more product coming in, we'll we'll see that uh, shrink. So for uh, before we get to this uh, survey, which is fascinating, uh, what was life like? in the UK at the beginning of this compared to what life is like now? Because obviously uh, the headline here is in many countries, including Canada, dissatisfaction with government's pandemic response is growing. However, one of the places where that doesn't follow the trend and and people are, are satisfied is the UK. Are you surprised how the attitude has changed towards your government there? It's a very good point. So I think the UK was somewhat of a late adopter of a lot of the measures. So I think at, in the UK, people felt, uh, me personally, I felt like some of the measures that were being implemented in other places could have been implemented here sooner. What's interesting, though, is that I think a lot of the sentiment around missed opportunities to get the pandemic under control has sort of reversed through the vaccination program. So I think general sentiment is that the vaccination program is going relatively well, or at least as well as could be expected given the circumstances. And what we do see is that from November onwards, there has been sort of an increase in uh, in trust or stabilization of trust that we haven't seen in some of the other countries we survey. Are you surprised that the UK has turned that around? And give us a, a, a explain a little bit about the vaccination progress uh, program and, and why you think it has worked. So, unfortunately, I'm not uh, I'm not a vaccination expert. So mm-hmm. I'm more looking at our survey data that's really asking people how they feel. And so, what we can say is that people do feel like the government is doing a better job. More people are reporting confidence in the government. But unfortunately, I'm not entirely sure as to why that may be. So I don't have data on the underlying causes. So uh, let's get back to the study at the beginning of all of this. We remember it was unprecedented here, at least in in Canada. We saw people who were normally fighting, working together, different party lines being crossed, even levels of government. And it was a very kumbaya moment. Everybody was rowing in the same direction. That has changed the longer this goes. Uh, Tell us what uh, your study says on that. That's very interesting. We... In terms of our study, we've asked people about how they are behaving in terms of attitudes that governments ask people to follow to prevent the spread of the pandemic, but also questions just around life satisfaction. And so some of the things we see is that, for example, face mask use has drastically increased in most of the countries. So, for example, in Canada, face mask use back in April of last year, was it sort of 23 percent of people reporting they were wearing a face mask? It is now up to 92 percent of people that say that they wear a face mask when they live the home. And many of these trends are similar across our 14 countries. Now, on the other hand, we have asked about life satisfaction. And so we asked people in May of last year using the Cantrell letter score, which is a measure of life satisfaction, how they were feeling. And in most countries, except one, life satisfaction is lower as of April 2021 than it was in May 2020. So it's interesting because you have this sort of parallel dynamic of people becoming more compliance with government regulations, understanding that they need to follow certain rules, they need to self-isolate, they need to avoid going out. But in parallel, that's had a toll on people's life satisfaction. There seemed to be a point when everybody was uh, into this and and following along, and then all of a sudden you started to see fatigue set in. Certainly, you know, by the time we got to year one, you started to see things, attitudes kind of change as this dragged out longer. That's that's actually yeah, that's actually quite, quite true. So 
For example, if we look at people's willingness to self-isolate, if advised, advised to do so by a healthcare professional, while the vast majority of respondents in our survey say that they would self-isolate if a healthcare professional told them to do so, that's over 68% in all of our countries, we do see that the share of those who report they'd be willing, they'd be unwilling, sorry, to self-isolate is higher now than it was before. So we can interpret this as people continue to understand that they need to follow this guidance, they might be a little bit less happy doing it. What about vaccine hesitancy? And uh, it's funny because in Canada, uh, I think at the beginning, everybody was concerned as these drugs were slowly being approved. Are they safe? Are they this? Are they that? Uh, And perhaps a little hesitant. But then once uh, cases started to grow and supply was very low, it it seemed like supply and demand factored into it for us in the sense that uh, as more uh, as more cases, as the caseload went up and the lack of vaccine coming in, uh, you know, was allowing that to happen, then it seemed that uh, because of lack of supply, people almost wanted it more. That's very interesting that you point that out. Yeah. So one of the questions we've been asking our survey respondents across our 14 countries is whether they'd be willing to get a vaccine if it were offered to them the week they take the survey. And we started asking this back in November before the vaccines were approved in many of the countries that we survey. And back in November in Canada, 44% of people said they'd be willing to get the, the vaccine. So that's less than half. And as of May or April 2021, that's gone up to 60%. So now significantly over half of the population in Canada report that they would be willing to get the vaccine if it were offered to them now. And that's a trend that holds across all of our surveyed countries, except one, where more people now report being willing to get the vaccine than back in November when we first started asking the question. It appears that, yeah, that trend's the same all the way except for Australia. How do you explain that? Although it seems very close. Yeah, in Australia, it's really stayed relatively constant. So it hasn't been one of the higher or lower ones. Uh, it's just not really changed much since um, since we started asking the question in November. Um, what's interesting, though, is the spread in willingness. So the, the countries that seem to be the most willing to get the vaccine, are um, the UK is at the top of the list there, whereas the least willing to get the vaccine is France, where only 39% of the survey respondents said that they'd be willing to get a vaccine if offered to them. Any idea, any insight into why there? Unfortunately, our survey doesn't ask people why, but there is an issue around side effects and concerns around side effects. So we do ask people whether they would be concerned about the side effects of the COVID-19 vaccine. And what we see is that in five of the 14 countries we survey, over half of the population are still reporting that they are concerned about side effects. Now, it's important to note that this concern has decreased in most countries since November. So you see sort of a parallel increase in willingness and an decrease in concern about side effects, but it is still very significant with over half of the population in some countries still quite concerned about them. So this might be driving some of the hesitancy. This has been a massive issue in Canada for us. Uh, and even though uh, AstraZeneca, I believe, is responsible for 69, 70% of the majority of the vaccine uh, that was used in the UK and, and got the UK to where it is, uh, people are incredibly hesitant about AstraZeneca here for a couple of reasons. Uh, the obvious uh, information that's going around the world in regard to clotting, but we've also had incredibly 
mix me- uh, different mixed messaging between two different government bodies, Health Canada and the National Associate, uh, the, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization on the, uh, uh, well, they basically came out and said, NASI said that Pfizer and Moderna were better than AstraZeneca. And, you know, now we're having a hard time unloading AstraZeneca. Uh, is, has, is Canada, can you give us some idea on those numbers in Canada and how that compares to other countries as far as hesitancy? Uh, specifically, I don't know if you have information on this brand, but this has been a huge issue for us in Canada in the last several weeks. So actually, one of our upcoming reports, and I'm really sorry I don't have that data here now for this interview, but one of our upcoming reports in the next month is looking at levels of trust by brand. But for now, what we can see is that, of course, there has been an impact in all of the um, different events that have occurred over the past months with AstraZeneca and just vaccine trust more broadly. And of course, that has affected people's trust. So what we do see when when we see that concerns about side effects are so high on the list of people's priorities, we see that governments and healthcare organizations really should be paying attention to this and trying to target messaging to the actual concerns of the people that are presenting this hesitancy. So unfortunately, I can't tell you right now um, where Canada's trust is compared to other countries with AstraZeneca. But what we can say is that really there's a big effort that has to happen from governments and healthcare authorities across the world to be very transparent about what are the effect, expected side effects, what is the probability of some of these side effects happening to people, and help people feel comfortable and understand what to, what to expect. Are you surprised that so many of these attitudes are the same? Within a, within a, uh, with the exception of a couple of, uh, of places, most of these trends are the same. Does that surprise you? Hmm. I guess not really, because I think... I mean, the fact that I am talking to you today really illustrates how global the news around the COVID pandemic is, right? And I think the fact that news can spread so quickly across the globe and that a report that's produced in London can be on the radio in Ontario that same afternoon really illustrates that we're getting our news not only from local sources in our local governments, but from from global sources and really global guidance. So in my mind, it makes sense, I guess, that people's attitudes and behaviors would sort of follow global lines of it information, global lines of thought. What sort, you talked about uh, upcoming research you're going to be doing on brands and such. As we get out of this, because many are now starting to question, what's what's the world going to be like once this uh, we move beyond it? And we're certainly, you know, you're seeing more of that in the UK than we are uh, here in Canada. What will be those concerns? What will be, what will you be studying and surveying and monitoring as we get out of this? So we we are still very much in in the middle of the vaccination effort. I think we will continue to observe very closely people's attitudes towards the vaccine. We have specific questions in our survey that are targeted towards people that have not yet, yet been vaccinated, of course. So it's interesting for us to also see these trends as we start to get some of the people that are probably more eager to get the vaccine once they're done and who's who's that group that that is remaining and how do we get to them and how do we understand what their concerns are and how do we break these people down by age group, for example, to better understand what different age groups are concerned about. So for us, really focusing on the vaccination effort and how we can use our information to better inform decision makers is very important. And of course, as the pandemic progresses and we start to leave some of the different measures, we'll start looking again at some of our numbers of people starting to leave the house more, people starting to have contacts outside the household more and starting to see how that potentially impacts any potential future waves or um, 
our rates or things like that. But yeah, for now, it's very much focused on the vaccination effort across our countries. It's funny because I just saw something out of the United States. Uh, obviously, they're, uh, you know, actively vaccinating and, and have moved on as well. And now the issues they're dealing with is people are still too, too scared to go out. They're still traumatized from the whole thing. And even though they've been vaccinated twice and they're in areas where, uh, you, you know, there's relatively low cases, um, they still have the fear of going out. That's going to linger for a while. It's, it's interesting you mentioned that. So actually, the only question where Canada is a little bit one of our outliers is in this question we ask about whether people are avoiding working outside the home. And Canada and the UK are tied at 49% of people who are still saying that they are avoiding working outside the home due to COVID. So it, it's exactly what you're saying. It's people that potentially are still a little bit hesitant to go back to quote unquote life as normal. And it will take some time, I think, for people to start feeling more comfortable and, and being able to resume their normal activities. Are people, and, and again, I don't know if you've done research on this or not, but are people, or how concerned are people about a fourth wave? Or with the UK and, and the US so, so far along in, in vaccination, that's not really uh, what they're looking at. Uh, you've kind of beaten uh, that down with the vaccination and such. Uh, and again, looking on to, to fear and, and people wanting to get out. How concerned are we about that fourth wave? Or are we? I think that is an excellent question that we should add to our survey, to be honest. We are not tracking that just yet, but I should say that our governments are definitely monitoring new variants um, coming out from different countries and truly really trying to understand what the potential is for these variants to create upcoming waves or to potentially not make the vaccines as effective. So that, that unfortunately, that that is not my area of expertise. Again, I only look at the survey results, but I do think that while we're still quite happy with the progress of some of the vaccine efforts. There is in parallel always this ongoing effort to monitor new variants and make sure that any potential uh, red flags are are, uh, captured in time. All right, Melanie, last question, and I guarantee it'll also be one you can't answer. Um, uh, (laughs) But I want to hear your opinion. I want to hear your opinion on this, uh, because, again, we're sort of sitting here on this side of the pond looking at the U.K. uh, with a bit of envy as we are down south of the border uh, with our friends of the U.S. What are you hearing? And I can understand if you're going to say nothing. But what are you hearing about how what it's like in Canada? Is there any information there in the U.K.? Are you hearing anything anecdotally about what's going on here? Just wondering. I, you know, anecdotally, I can tell you that I have two friends in Canada. One has told me that everything's going great, and the other one has told me that it is not. So I am really you know what, Melanie. 50. That is absolutely hilarious because that's what we deal with every day. Half of the people happy, half of the people cranky. So it's really, that's very accurate. I'm glad my sample is representative. Yes, yes, that is a very accurate sample from where I sit. Uh, Melanie Lease has been with us, study co-lead with the Imperial uh, Imperial Colleges Institute of Global Health Innovation in London and the headline in the Globe and Mail. In many countries, including Canada, dissatisfaction with government's pandemic and response is growing. However, not in the UK. Uh, Melanie, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thank you. Bye. It is 125. Fascinating, as Melanie said, that, uh, you know, she can be doing a, a study over in London, England at the Institute of Global Health and Innovation and releases it uh, this morning and by the afternoon. She's on the air in a different country talking about it. This truly is a global pandemic. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, Mayor John Tory in Toronto announced uh, a little earlier on today uh, that uh, summer has been canceled in Toronto. Uh, the one-dose summer in Toronto uh, does not include festivals. Uh, things like uh, the Toronto Indie, uh, Carabana, Taste of the Danforth, uh, basically any festival that needs to be permitted uh, in in uh, Toronto has been canceled, and uh, that they won't re-examine that until after uh, the Labor Day uh, after the Labor Day weekend. Obviously, that means uh, the Indie in Toronto. Let's bring Eric Thomas in, host of the Raceline Radio Network. You can hear him every Sunday night right here on CHML. He is with us now. Eric, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. We're good. We're good, lad. Hope you are, too. Yeah. It's, uh, so everyone was wondering what a one-dose summer would look like, and <laughs> I guess uh, what, what it looks like is uh, no festivals. Uh, your thoughts on this for the second year in a row? We kind of knew it was going to happen because Toronto had already canceled any events into the first week of July, and just <clears throat> you know, looking at the case numbers around, and we watch the news every night and get depressed and angry and throw stuff at our television every time the news is on about the numbers going up and the numbers going down and, and the enforcements and the restrictions that are that are just, in my opinion, are not being enforced fairly. And there's been lots of discussion on that. You've had a lot of that on, on the Scott Thompson show. But the idea was that there was very little um, hope, really, among the racing circle here, uh, Scooter, that, that this race was going to go. And it's too bad because that's now two Julys in a row, two summers in a row that we won't have the IndyCars at Exhibition Place in Toronto, which is too bad because it's certainly a, you know, a hallmark event every year in the in the city itself. And you know, when you go back to the long history of this race, it first run in 1986, and I did the PA work at the track at the race until Raceline came around in '92, and then of course we've been, you know, instrumental covering these things trackside. So not to have the race around is kind of a you know is vacant, and it's and it's and it's a as IndyCar said, it's um you know it's a shame and it's a a tragedy and heartbreaking. He said because you know the Canadian race fans are are certainly some of the best anywhere that they run. They love coming to Toronto. They love the Southern Ontario. They love the city. And uh, they've often called it a crown jewel on their schedule, but because of restrictions, and of course the border being closed, and you can't quarantine yeah. these guys. They had no recourse but to do it. We knew it was going to happen, but it's it's certainly not good news when you get it officially. So here we are, uh, for two years in a row that the uh, the race won't be staged at the X, which is too bad. And obviously, heard earlier on too, F1 canceled uh, in Montreal. What oh, about yeah. Labor Day weekend in Canadian Tire Motorsports Park and their uh, schedule? Do you think they're going to be able to pull that off? Well, uh, I guess we don't know. We have no way of knowing. We, we still we still don't know, but the needle would certainly be pointing towards no. Again, it depends on two things: one, what our numbers look like, and two, if that border is still technically closed and you need to quarantine for a length of time, you can't. You can't ask the NASCAR teams, the truck teams at, at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park or any of those, you know, to do that. The reason why IMSA called off their, their, their WeatherTech Series weekend at the Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, and there's been other cancellations as well. As long as you don't have free travel over that border, it makes it extremely tough for touring series uh, to come in there. And, and you can't just stay in the country for two weeks. You can't do it. It's just not economically. Here's a great idea, Eric. Let's just make sure that each team that comes across fills up the hauler with vaccine. They got lots down there. That would get them in. <laughs> you could do you bring it, in a tractor trailer load, you know, filled with a couple of cars and some vaccine. You got yourself a hot weekend. You sure do. Now, you're, we're, we're laughing at that, and, and there's, a ser- there's a certain amount of seriousness to that because, as you probably know, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and we're, and we're right in the middle of our previews here 
of the 105th running of what they yeah. call the greatest spectacle in racing. The Indy 500, we're going to be doing that on the next two shows on Raceline here on CHML. There's, is the fact that they're going to allow 40% capacity of the Speedway. This is Indianapolis now. Uh, fans in there live in the seats, which we didn't have last year, which is going to be terrific. But uh, to your point, the track has been offering uh, needling and vaccines. Yeah. At the racetrack. And it's not like they do at basketball games. <laughs> they did yeah. that like at basketball games, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to, haven't got jabbed yet, and you live in the greater Indianapolis area, just go down to the Speedway, you know, That's and they'll it. jab you. No problem. They got lots. Get a beer and a jab. A beer, uh, yeah, a <laughs> beer and a hot dog. <laughs> and a beer, jab. It's a combo meal. A you beer, a hot combo. dog, and a jab. <laughs> Yes, can it's I have the no vaccination onions? combo. I'll have no, I'll have no, uh, I'll have no onions on the uh, on the injector, please. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. All right. What does this mean for local racing? Racing in and around. Uh, obviously, yeah. you can't go across the uh, the border. But what does this mean for local tracks here? Well, it, yeah. I mean, pretty much still on hold. The one great mystery in all of this is that uh, our illustrious friend, uh, Mister Doug, who hears us, so he says. Uh, has shut everything down through June, which would make the NASCAR Pinty Series or the NASCAR Canada Series opener at at uh, at Sunset Speedway May 23rd. You know, pretty much a done deal. But there's been no official announcement from the sanction. I checked their website earlier today, and there's nothing on there. So I don't know how they're planning on on doing that. Having said all of that, you know, the other tracks around, you know, Flamborough and Sobble and the rest of them, and then certainly the dirt track down in in, uh, in the Niagara area and Barrettville Speedway. Humberstone doesn't plan to get going until July, if if indeed restrictions allow. Merrittville's 70th anniversary season, consecutive season, is on hold. But one thing that he's done, Don Spies at Merrittville, and, and the smart guy that he is, he has opened up a terrific drive through ice cream stand on the corner of the parking lot of the Speedway. Hang on, he's not done. He's adding wood oven pizza to that little midway. And I saw folks, that. not just race fans, don't have to go into the track. They can go through the parking lot, park if they want, but they can do the drive-through, get a pizza, get an ice cream cone or a sundae or a banana split or whatever you want, and find a way for your park to generate some money until the numbers get better in Ontario and the government decides to do it fairly and let people back into the stands because they still got their taxes to pay, property tax, maintenance, hydro, all of that stuff. They're not making any money when the seats are empty, that's for sure. So at least some of the track operators are getting very industrious and enterprising and are putting in these little programs like Merrittville Big Scoop Ice Cream and their wood-fired pizza, which is good. I mean, that's something you've you got to be inventive to get over this hump because I'm going to tell you this. There are 28 racing facilities in the province of Ontario alone, and I'm afraid to have to tell you, and my prophecy is, and it's not just me, other people who are a lot smarter than me, there are going to be a few racing facilities around this province that are not going to survive this. Yeah. They've got to go another summer without any program and no gate. I don't know how the heck yeah. the bank account's going to be able to keep them afloat for two years in a row. It's going to be very, very tough to do. Now, I'm, I'm running out I, of my answer here. As you on the last, And so we're out of time. Oh, we are? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, pizza, a scoop, and a shot. There you yeah. go. You can you can do it. You can do and it. some dirt in your beer. Well, we can uh, open up these tracks. We could open them up. There's a white paper out there on how to do it. Keep everybody distance. I mean, Ransomville across the river, letting you in twenty percent capacity, but you got to have a negative test. You got to wear your mask. Yeah. And taking temperatures. There's a way to do it. So, uh, the government just needs to open their eyes a little more. There is a racing industry in this province that needs some attention. Eric Thomas, host of Raceline Radio Network, heard Sunday nights right here on CHML. Eric, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Lots of fun, Scooter. See ya. 
The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.